So we discussed this in passing previously, but now I want to get into a little more detail. So our first source today, and let me just number and box it because I, I harder, harder for me to look at it, probably harder for you also. Okay. So our first source is a Pasuk in the Torah. And this is Moshe Rabbeinu speaking to the Jewish people. And what he says is, Ki Hashem Elokeichem, Hashem your God, who Elokeha Elokim, he is the God above all gods. But Hashem, the Adon Hadonim, and the Adonai Hadonim, right? He's the master of all masters. Hakel, Hagadal, Hagibar, Vahanora. These four words are, of course, what the Shemun Master begins with, right? So if you're open to page 98, what you see is, Hashem, Last week we spoke about why it doesn't say Melech Olam, and we discussed how that's actually implicit in the speaking of the three fathers, the three patriarchs. We discussed that last week, since we recorded. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov, the God, Abraham, the God, Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then we say, Hakel, Hagadah, Hagibah, Hanorah. These four words that Moshe Rabbeinu said, right? And indeed, the Talmud tells us that these are the only phrases of Hashem that one is authorized to say. In other words, in terms of a descriptive phrase, which is a descriptive um, attribute of God, the only ones that we're permitted to say are these four words right here. The great, the, the supreme, the great, the mighty, and the awesome. Why are we permitted to say those? Because Moshe said them. If Moshe had not said them, we wouldn't be permitted to say them either. Now you might ask, why not? Why can't you say any praises, right? Say whatever you want. It's all good, right? The answer is that when you list someone's praises, by definition, you're also not listing other things, right? And it could be an error of omission. And the way the Talmud describes it, there was a rabbi who gets up to the daven and he's davening and he's saying so many words and he's praising Hashem with many, many different descriptive words about God. And so a different rabbi says to him, is that it? Why not say other things too? Doesn't God have other things as well? In other words, he uses the mushal, he uses a parable. He says, if a king has thousands of gold coins, do you praise him by saying he has 10 silver coins? That would be foolish, right? Because you're not at all expressing the greatness. So when you speak about the greatness of God, by definition, whatever you're not saying is being limited, right? You're, by not saying something, you're saying that he's not anything more than these 6, 10, 12, 15, 18 attributes. But of course, God is limitless. Why are we permitted to even say these four descriptive words? Because Moshe used them previously. Okay, now, the thing is like this. The thing is, we've done this Gemara and Yuma in the past, and we're not going to go through the whole thing again, but I do want to point something out. The Gemara tells us, and we, we've de dealt with these problems before, that Yirmiyahu and Daniel, Daniel, Jeremiah and Daniel, what happened is, after the Jewish people had been exiled, or were in the process of being exiled from the land of Israel, they stopped saying all of these praises of God. They, Jeremiah said it's no longer appropriate to talk about God and use the Use the phrase Nora. Why? Because Nora would imply the awesome presence of God. And as we've mentioned in the past, the awesome presence of God, the most awesome, the most palpable presence of God in the world up until that point had been Har Sinai, the cloud, the presence of God. Har Sinai was replicated in miniature with the Mishkan, with the tabernacle. And then it was replicated again in the temple. So this was all about a space in this world where Hashem's presence is found. That is the awesomeness of God. We're able to point to this is the awesomeness of God, 
right? It's not abstract. I mean, it's somewhat abstract, of course, but it's something that we actually can visibly be able to say tangible, there's something here. Now, the minions of Nebuchadnezzar are carousing in a sanctuary. Where is his awesomeness? That was Jeremiah's opinion. And Jeremiah, therefore, no longer said awesome in his prayer. When Jeremiah described God, he said, the great God, the mighty Lord of hosts is his name, but he left out awesome because the presence of God was no longer with them. And Daniel came and said, Gentiles are enslaved in his children. Where is his might? Right? Might is gibor. Right? Gibor means the ability to carry out judgment. Okay? So therefore, he did not say might in his prayer. But then after they come back to the land of Israel, after the 70 years in exile, the members of the great assembly, and in fact, according to some opinions, that's why they're called the members of the great assembly, is because they put back those two descriptive phrases of Hashem. And they say, on the contrary, the fact that we've been in exile for 70 years and we went through the terrible times, but what we recognized after the Purim miracle is that over that 12 and a half year period of time when the Purim miracle unfolds, what we recognized is that Hashem has been behind us every single step of the way. And the fact that Hashem was not punishing individuals who were making use of the utensils from the Beis HaMikdash, that's only because Hashem doesn't need to punish in this world. Hashem can punish in the world to come. Hashem is more mighty than any Melech, any Melech Basar Vadam, any king of flesh and blood, right? He's no, he's no Putin who feels the need to, to, you know, bring Russia back to its glory before he dies, right? Hashem doesn't have the same limitations, of course. Hashem is timeless. And therefore, Hashem does not have to punish in this world, per se. So the fact that we didn't witness him punishing the individuals who are doing these terrible things to the Jewish people, that's not an indication that he's not mighty. On the contrary, that's, on some level, an indication that he's more mighty. Because he doesn't need to punish in this world. He can punish whenever he wishes to. But that recognition is only able to be recited properly to the fullest extent and to believe it when you actually then witness some punishment taking place. So they witnessed the end of the 70 years. So they're able to use this expression again. And these acts also expresses awesomeness. Were it not for the awesomeness of the Holy One, blessed be he, how could one people, Jewish people, who are alone and hated by the Gentile nations, survive among the only way that this would be possible would be because Hashem's manifested himself throughout our existence, right? And as we've mentioned in the past, the famous line from Rabbi Yaakov Emdin, Yaakov Emdin, who was a great rabbi, his name was, uh, the, uh, the name, name that we call him by is Yaivet. That was the name of his paper. And I told you guys, I think, in the past, that the senator, Jacob Javits, is actually a, a direct descendant, right? And he actually has the same exact name, right? Jacob Javits, Yaakov Emdin, right? And uh, so Yaakov Emdin, who was a great rabbi in the 1700s, said that the greatest miracle that Hashem has ever done, completely, completely eclipsing any other miracle, is the fact that the Jewish people still exist. That is the greatest presence of Hashem, the greatest manifestation of Hashem's presence in the world is the fact that we, the Jewish people, still exist. Yaakov Emdin was not the only person to say this. John Adams, Leo Tolstoy, Mark Twain, they all said something very similar. Blaise Pascal, also something very similar, that this is the greatest manifestation, the greatest proof of God's existence is the fact that these Jewish people still exist today. But once again, you can only say that after having gone through the terrible travail of exile and then see that we're still around no matter what, we still exist. And unlike every other nation that's melted away, we're still here. Then you can fully express that this also can express his awesomeness. Now, 
If you look at the next four phrases of the Shmona Esrei, what do we then say? We start off with that Kel Hagadol Hagibar Bahanola. Then we say Kel Elyon, right? Kel Elyon is a reflection of what Moshe said. Hakel, right? It's the same word, Kel Elyon, but now it's taking it up another notch. Now it's saying the supreme God. Kel, by definition, already means powerful and supreme, but Kel Elyon means even more supreme, okay? Gomel Chasadim Tovim. What does Gomel Chasadim Tovim mean? It means who does great kindnesses, right? The word Gadol, Hagadol, right? The great ones actually is a reference to what we call Midas HaChesed, Hashem's loving kindness. So Gomel Chasadim Tovim, a reflection of Hagadol. Then we have Vekone Hakol. Vekone Hakol means that he owns everything. What does that mean, he owns everything? So what that means is, is the, it's a connection back to Nora. We said now that what Nora, that Moshe said, Nora means Hashem is awesome. When Moshe said it, he's seen Hashem's presence in front of him in the cloud of glory. When the Jewish people come back from exile, they're seeing Hashem's presence in the fact that the Jewish people are still around and still existing. Bekone HaKal is a way of saying Hashem owns everything. And since Hashem owns everything, that's how, that's why the Jewish people are still here today. So that itself is the greatest awesomeness of Hashem. Then what we read is, Bezocher Chazde Avos, who remembers the kindnesses of the patriarchs. What are the kindnesses of the patriarchs? What does that mean? The kindnesses to who? The kindnesses to people around them, right? So what it means is the kindnesses that the patriarchs Turned to Hashem. And they chose, they believed, and chose a life of belief in, in Hashem, in God. And because of that, they created the Jewish nation. They created the conditions for the Jewish nation to exist. So, what we're saying is Hashem remembers the, the kindnesses of the fathers. Now, there's something that's important to remember. There's two different ways in which our zechus avos, the connection that we have to our patriarchs, how they still protect us today. One way that it protects us is what we call zechut avos. Zechut means merit of the patriarch. But there's also what we call brit avos. Brit avos means not the merit of the forefathers, but rather the covenant with the forefathers. Okay. So let me ask you something, right? Without, without looking at the next tomorrow, nobody cheat now, right? So Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, they do great things. They do wonderful things. They were very, very holy people. And they really did, like I said, lay the conditions for the Jewish people to exist. And in fact, also for the Christians who are bringing monotheists to the world. And in fact, for the Muslims to exist, they laid all of those conditions down. It was tremendous, tremendous merit of the mitzvah that they have done. You know, the Jews, we've done some really bad things in our history, unfortunately. Right? We've, they haven't always been so good, right? as we know. The Gemara tells us, you know what? At a certain point in time, the zechut avot, the merit that they had accrued, was no longer existing. It had been used up, right? Your merit is credit in a bank, right? But at a certain point, your line of credit has been exhausted. And the merit was exhausted. It says the Gemara, when did the merit of the patriarch cease? Rob said in the days of the prophet Hosea, son of Be'eri, as it is stated, and now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. Israel will no longer be saved by the merit of the patriarchs. And Shmuel said, the merit of the patriarchs 
Yisrael since the days of Chatzael. As it was stated in Chatzael, King of Aram oppressed Israel all the days of Yehoyachat. Right? And so on and so forth. We have all of these different statements, four different statements, where we discuss the merit of the, of the, of the Avos having been dried up. Tosafot tells us on the page, I, I wasn't able to put it on the first sheet, but Tosafot tells us on the page, although the merit of the fathers might have been dried up, the covenant, the grit, the fact that Hashem said, I will never destroy the Jewish people, that will never go away. Because that's not based on a specific act and a specific attribute or accrual of merit that the forefathers had done for us, right? That's based on a covenant and covenants are not broken. So the Brit Avot will never be broken, okay? So we start off by discussing, he remembers the kindness of the fathers. But then what we say is, maybe Goel, Livnei Benehem, right? Who brings a redeemer to their son's son. Leman Shemo Ba'ahava. Okay, so like this. It started off as being the chesed of the merit of the fathers that they had accrued. But then what we go into, right, is that Hashem is going to bring the redeemer for the children's children. Now, we're saying he's going to bring it to the Levnei Benehem. What is that a reference to? Who are the Bnei Benehem, right? Each and every generation has to look at ourselves as if we are the Bnei Benehem. However, at a certain point, right, no longer is Hashem going to bring the Redeemer or become the Redeemer because he remembers the merit of the Father. Why not? Because the merit of the Father has been exhausted. So that means that if Hashem was to redeem us today, it's not because of the merit of the fathers. So why then would he redeem us? Why would Hashem redeem us if it's not because of the merit of the fathers? Like, what would be the reason for that? So the answer is Laman Shemo Ba'ahava. Because for his own sake, purely out of love for the Jewish people. No longer will we be redeemed because of the schus avos, because Hashem, because we deserve it, because we are the children of these great people, right? But only because Hashem loves us, right? It's a very important point. Laman Shemo Ba'ahava, right? Yeah, Elana? See the negativity here, because... It says, So I don't see that he, I, I mean, it's all in positive. I don't see where it says that it's no longer existing. So, so I'll tell you why. Remember, who wrote these words? The men of the great assembly, right? Yes. Now, what is this Gemara telling us? This Gemara is telling us that the merit of the patriarchs, everyone agrees that by the time the prophets are gone, the merit of the patriarchs has been used up. The four different opinions are all at what point during the time of the prophets were the merit of the forefathers used up. But everybody agrees that now it's gone. So if you're saying the chazde means the, the things that they have done, the kindness that they have done. So you're saying is I remember the credit that they have accrued. The problem is the Gemara tells us their credit is gone, right? They can't draw anything more, right? They're in overdraft already at this point, right? So it's no longer about the credit that they have accrued. It's about a unique relationship that we still have because of the covenant, right? So when we talk about Hashem bringing the Redeemer, it has to be something else. And that's exactly what, the, what, the, what we say. Leman Shemo. It doesn't say Leman Shema Avot. It doesn't say for the sake of the fathers. It says for Hashem's sake, with love for us. But not because of merit, right? The merit, we wouldn't say Leman Shemo. We wouldn't say for Hashem's sake. 
right? If it was for merit, we would say leman shema avot, right? However, why would they say? Why would what they say vezocher chazdei avot? I mean, why would even? I mean, why mention it if it's used up? Okay, now we've got a new thing. So why is it even there? It's a good question. It's a good question. So what, what I'm going to assume is, is, I think it's a very good question. What I'm going to assume is, is well, he's doing it for the sake of his, his, his name. That's what we call it, for the sake of Hashem's name. What does it mean for the sake of Hashem's name? Right, what does that even mean? Be'ahava, with love. So I think what it means is, listen, why is it that there is a covenant with the Jewish people? Why does God make a covenant with us? What did I ever do? I wish I had done things that would, that would merit a covenant with God, right? The answer is that our forefathers, right, and the emotes, of course, and the, the matriarchs as well, their deeds were so towering and so incredible and exactly what Hashem was looking for at that time to teach the world the way it to act and to come to this from their own understanding without requiring a tradition, right? That was something that was so powerful that Hashem said, I'm going to seal a covenant with you. But once he sealed the covenant, whatever happens to the Jewish people, and the Torah tells us this a time and time again, whatever happens to the Jewish people itself defines the presence of God in this world. That the nations of the world will ask, how could it be that there's a nation that is so terribly traumatized with punishments Right? What is it that they have done to deserve this? Right? That's what the Torah tells us. The Torah says, nations of the world will say, it must be that they are the nation of Hashem. Right? So that means that the more, the more that they, there are actions that are taken to us, the more it defines Hashem's name in this world. So Hashem is going to redeem us for the sake of his name. But because we had become the chosen nation, why did we become the chosen nation? Because of the merit of the fathers. That's why we became the chosen nation. Why does Hashem redeem us now? No longer because of the merit of the fathers, but rather because Laman Shemo Bahava, for the sake of his name with love. Well, okay? um, I mean, but Abraham was flawed and Jacob was flawed. <laughs> Isaac was flawed. All of them were flawed. So how can they be so I, aggressive? Well, I, I so I don't know. Why, I don't know why you're saying that. Honestly, I don't know why you're saying that. I don't know no, where you because, see that. Because because uh, uh, Sarah was supposed to pretend to be a sister, and with Jacob, um, uh, he well, Alana, 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 We're not going to go through the whole Torah right now. Right. Okay. But but um, but okay. I, I, I I I don't I don't think that's a reasonable approach to take. I think okay. the, the, way, the way that we talk about the fathers is, and this is what the Torah tells us, right? It goes to ask yourself a question. Does Hashem not recognize their flaw? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the, the strength of the Torah, that they are flawed. Well, so I, I, I think also, I think there, there's this tendency, it's a terrible, terrible tendency, I'm not blaming you, but there's a terrible tendency to read the Torah as if it's just a regular narrative on some level, a narrative written by God, but as if it's a regular narrative and we try to relate to the forefathers. And that's important, we should try to relate to them. I think the understanding is you're talking about individuals who merited to speak to God, who merited to have a relationship with God, right? So the, they might have some, some small, very infinitesimal flaws, I think to understand that when the Pasuk says that this is what's happening over here, Abraham did a mistake. The Pasuk doesn't say that, by the way. The Pasuk doesn't actually say that he made a mistake with Sarah. Never says that in the Pasuk, right? You're making an assumption based on your own understanding, right? That there was something wrong with what he did to Sarah. But the Pasuk doesn't say that. 
For all we know, this is what Hashem wants them to do, right? We can go through all of them. I'm not, I'm not going through all of them. It doesn't, it's going to take too much time. I'll give you just one line that, that, uh, that I heard from, from Leah's grandfather. Actually, today he told me this. Uh, the Gemara tells us that the way that we have to learn Torah, we have to think of the person we're learning Torah from as a Malach Hashem Tzivakot, as an angel of God speaking to us, right? And then the Gemara continues and says, and if the earlier ones were like angels, then we are like men. And if the earlier ones are like men, then we are like donkeys, right? So what, what the Gemara is trying to illustrate to us is, and I, I know it sounds funny, but what the Gemara is trying to illustrate to us is that we have no conception of how holy these individuals were. And whenever the Gemara, whenever, whenever the Torah tells us that they did this wrong and they did that wrong, the Gemara explains what was really happening here and why it is that we still consider it like something wrong, right? Why, if, if indeed it was such a small, a small, you know, um, error of judgment, then why is it that we actually look at it as such an egregious uh, mistake? And the Gemara goes through that as well. The fact of the matter is, if I am to believe that the Torah was given to us by Hashem, which is certainly what I believe, right? And I am to believe that this is the Torah telling us what happened. And the Torah is telling us why he chose these individuals. Why these individuals? Why not anybody else, right? I think what the Torah is telling us is these are incredibly holy individuals. And if we were to walk into a room right now, right? The, the three people you want to be in an elevator with, right? Three historical figures, right? So if you were to say Moshe, Abraham, and uh, I don't know, Sarah, right? If you walked into that room, you would faint on the floor. And then when you woke up, you would faint again because they would be so holy and so spiritually inclined and elevated that there wouldn't even be a sense that these are humans. And I'm not saying this on my own. The Midrash tells us that when the angels first saw Adam, so Adam and Eve, they thought they were God and they started bowing down to them. Okay. I think you need to understand like we are not just talking about humans. These are people who are incredibly elevated people. Now, does that mean that initially they were incredibly elevated? Maybe not. Maybe at a later point in their life, they reached that level. With Moshe, Moshe does, does defy God at first, does not want to take the mission. By the end of his life, he is the, the, the ultimate example of a, of a servant who does exactly what his master wants. Right? You look at the sin for what Moshe gets punished for. What sin does Moshe get punished for? For hitting a rock. When, when you or I get punished for hitting a rock instead of talking to a rock, just think about what, what those words mean. Right? You have to understand there is this tendency, especially in America, especially in some of the other denominations, to speak about them as if they're flawed individuals who are just like, you know, Will Smith giving Chris Rock a slap on the face. Yeah, Moshe was more or less the same thing. He slapped the rock, he slapped his face. It, it is such an absurd statement. It is such a, a, a completely, it takes the whole Torah. And for me, I, if that was the way I, I perceived the Torah, I would throw it in the garbage. It would mean nothing to me. If that's really all it is, it wouldn't mean anything to me at all. Right? We have to understand what we are talking about. I think there, there has to be this understanding or else, or else it's almost meaningless to me. Okay, let's continue. Thank you. <laughs> for the rant. <laughs> I wasn't just addressing you. <laughs> I was addressing other people <laughs> in my mind. So yeah. Um, okay. So like this. The thing is, the thing is though, that, that we, in terms of Mashiach, because now we're going to start speaking about Mashiach a little bit, right? A little bit, we address Mashiach here. Later on in Shimon Esther, we address Mashiach at greater, greater detail. But at this point, we start addressing Mashiach a little bit, right? It says, Melech Ezer, Umashiach, Umagain, right? He is O King, O Helper, Savior, and Shield, right? And then we say, Baruch Hashem, Magain Abraham, 
Now, when we say melech, this is the first time we're using the word melech, king, right? We did not say melech ha'olam in the first blessing, at the right at the beginning. Typically, when you make a blessing, you say, baruch atah Hashem, elokeinu, melech ha'olam. We didn't say it then. We waited until now. Now we stuck in melech, right? So what are we saying? We're saying Hashem is the melech. What is the immediate modifier that we use? He is the ozer umoshiach, right? He is the one who helps and saves, right? So he saves us even when we don't deserve to be saved. He's saving us for the sake of his name with love. He's also our mugain. He is our shield. Now, Hashem is our shield in ways that are not necessarily immediately apparent. What do I mean by that? If Schwab points out, I think a very, very important point. And if it was true 40 years ago, it's even more true today. Anti-Semitism is an example of how Hashem protects us in very strange ways. But anti-Semitism is an example of how Hashem protects us. So he says, had there been no anti-Semitism in Russia, not a single Russian Jew would have remained Jewish throughout the Cold War. Right? If the Russian Jews did not have their separate identification uh, on their identification cards, if it didn't mention Jewish, then they, they, it would have been completely eradicated and stamped out. But because they were immediately known as the different people, right? The only reason why they exist today, the Russians, and there's so many of them, and as we're seeing you know, in Ukraine, also so many of them. Why do they exist? Why are they still Jewish? Because of the very fact that they were hated by everyone else. That actually kept them you know, somewhat perversely alive against all odds as a Jewish people. Now, but the concept of Hashem as our mugging, as our shield, it extends even further than that. What does he mean? He says like this. Let's read this next Gemara. The next Gemara talks about what's going to happen in the time of Mashiach. In the times of the approach of Mashiach, impudence will increase and high costs will pile up. Supply chain deficiencies. No, it doesn't say anything about supply chain deficiencies. But it does say that when, when Mashiach is going to be coming, people will be far more, as we would say, chutzpahdik, right? There'll be way less of a respect for authority, way less of a respect for our elders, right? High costs will pile up. Although the vine shall bring forth its fruit, wine will nevertheless be expensive, right? There'll be terrible inflation. And the monarchy shall turn to heresy, and there will be no one to give reproof about this. The meeting place of the sages will become a place of promiscuity. And the Galilee shall be destroyed, and the Gavlan will be desolate. And the men of the border shall go round from city to city to seek charity, but they will find no mercy. And the wisdom of scribes will putrefy. The people who fear sin will be held in disgust, and the truth will be asked. The youth will shame the face of elders. Elders will stand before minors. Normal family relations will be ruined. The son will disgrace the father. The daughter will rise up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother's against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. The face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. A son will no longer be ashamed before his father. And upon what is there for us to rely? Only upon our father in heaven. This is a pretty frightening, pretty frightening prophecy. And what the prophecy is, is that before Mashiach comes, things are going to get a lot worse before they actually get better. But when's the darkest time of the night? Right before dawn. Okay? So right before Mashiach actually comes, things are going to get really terrible. Now, can we make the argument that this is possibly, this is the time right now? Of course, we can make the argument for many, many times over the last couple of hundred years. Inflation obviously is rampant right now, so that's what makes us think of this a little bit more, right? 
Um, but also in terms of the complete lack of respect for those who came before us, the complete lack of respect for older values, let's call them, right? They're trying to completely rewrite the proper way of acting, right? That is not a good thing. The sages tell us in different Talmudic passage, there's next source, but we're not going to read it inside. Many of the sages said, we do not want to live to see Mashiach. We want him to come, but after I die, I don't want to see him. Why? I'm afraid of the suffering. They're afraid of the suffering. The suffering is going to be terrible, devastating. And aside from the physical suffering, what we're seeing is also about the spiritual suffering. The scribes will no longer be respected. Right? The value system that will become enshrined, it will enshrine and institutionalize behavior that is completely corrupt in so many different ways. This is all going to be happening before the time of Mashiach. The disbelief in a God, the idea of atheism becoming like a, a very widespread theology. I'm going to call it a theology because I believe that atheism is a theology. In fact, I was, I was bothered earlier this week. Uh, I was asking a question. How could it be that an atheist can be so confident, right? How could they be so confident that you, you're, you're trying to believe something that there's no way to prove? So the same way I'm trying to believe something that there's no way to prove, you're laughing at me, but you yourself are believing something that there's no way to prove. So I looked it up, and indeed Dawkins has an answer. What's Dawkins' answer? Dawkins is one of the four horsemen of the, you know, the, the new atheists. And uh, I'm not Dawkins. Oh, it might have been Hitchens, actually. Hitchens, I think, is Jewish, unfortunately. He's actually dead also. So Hitchens says, he says, you know, the same way you have the right to believe something that there's no way to prove, I also have the right to believe something there's no way to prove. That's fine, Mr. Hitchens. But just recognize, I call my thing theology, right? What do you call your process of believing something that there's no way to prove? Because you also are a believer, right? You're no less of a believer than me. Why are you laughing at me, right? But the fact of the matter is, this is completely widespread. The concept that there's no God in the world, a lot of the world believes that, right? The educated elites at a higher rate believe that on some level or are willing to espouse that they believe that. And certainly moral values are not what they ought to be. We know that. And they believe that there's no judgment, right? Because if you don't believe in God, then there's no judgment. The fact that the Jewish people can survive and thrive, I say, right? And still be here today and still be alive and kicking and spreading the truth of the Torah, the timelessness and the truth of the Torah. The only way that that's possible is because of the Magain Abraham, the shield of Abraham. Why Abraham specifically? Well, partially because what did Abraham do? What Abraham did. He stood against everybody. He stood against the entire society. Everybody, this is, remember, this is right after the times of the Dar HaFlaga, of the generation of dispersion. There was a, a, a uniform mindset of what is correct, what is incorrect. And Nimrod, who was the first one to morate, to rebel against Hashem, right, on a, in a public way and as a king, he was the king. He was the one who was all powerful. And Abraham said, I refuse to listen to your insane commands. Right? I will not follow the footsteps of what everyone else is doing. I will not bow to peer pressure. Right? Abram is able to stand up against that. And that's why we have been able to stand up against that peer pressure and to keep our values, to be, keep the fidelity to Hashem, keep the fidelity to the Torah. Now, so that's why we need the help of Hashem to be our Ozer, our helper, our, and, um, our Ozer and, and a Moshiach and a Redeemer. Right? Now, Avram Avinu 
Right, okay, fine. Okay, so that, that's that. Now let's look at the next source. Where do we first see this concept of Abraham, of Hashem being the shield for Abraham? So in the Pasuk, in Breshit, it says, mm-hmm. So the word of Hashem came to Abraham in a, in a, in a vision at night. Lamar, do not be afraid, Abraham. I will be the shield for you. Your reward shall be very great. In other words, don't be afraid. Don't think that your merit has been used up because of the, the battles that you fought against the, against the four kings. Don't be afraid. Hashem, Hashem is telling Abraham, I will be your shield. And that's why we evoke the merit of Abraham and the promise that Hashem gave him that he'll be the shield of Abraham. But we need to recognize that, that the shield is going to work when we follow in the footsteps of Abraham. Hashem promises that the entire nation will not be destroyed. At the Seder, right? At the Passover Seder, what do we say? Right? We say, you have to realize, right? In each and every generation, they are standing up against us. They are threatening us with destruction. But Hashem, Hashem is going to save us from their hands. Now, to be clear, and, and it's terrible, terrible what we're seeing going on right now in Israel over the last 10 days, absolutely horrific. Terrible what's going on in Russia. And the Ukraine, Ukrainian Jews, there's some awful stories coming out. You know, people in Mariupol who were, my mother was just telling me this morning, someone in Mariupol, his, uh, he's, he said over the story after having escaped Mariupol that his, his, uh, his Torah study partner was shot in front of his kids, killed, you know, for no, nothing really. Maybe it was out after curfew or something and, and shot, shot by the Russians. There's a tremendous amount of pain. And when we say Hashem is the mugging, we don't mean that Hashem is going to protect every individual Jew. We're not coming to answer how is it that people can suffer. That's not the question. When we say Hashem is the mugging, what we mean is Hashem is going to steward the Jewish nation. There's a beautiful beautiful story uh, that is sung by Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. And and I would recommend even um, looking it up on on YouTube because it's 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 beautiful. Maybe it's a little too powerful almost. But I'll tell you the story. Shlomo Kalbach says what happened at the last Seder in the Warsaw Ghetto. Right? So the ghetto uprising happened, I think it was right after Pesach, or maybe in the middle of Pesach, actually, that the uprising happened. Right? But the uprising was for, I think, a couple of weeks that in 1943, the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto. And the way he says the story is that it was that final Seder in the Warsaw Ghetto. And there was one actual nuclear family that was still alive at that time. And Maishala was the boy's name. And so Maishala asks his father, he gets up to the Manishtana, the four questions. Maishala says to his father, after he asks the four questions, he says, Abba, Tata, I have a fifth question as well. Next year, will you be alive to answer my questions? Next year, will I be alive to ask you these questions? So his father tells him, Maishala, I don't know if you'll be alive. I don't know if I'll be alive. But there will be a Jewish father somewhere in the world answering Maishala's questions next year too. That I can promise you. So when we say Hashem is the mugging Abraham, what we mean is Hashem is going to protect the Jewish people. But there's a qualification here. And the qualification is that the Jewish people need to live our lives like Abraham lived his life. Abraham was recognized the, the presence of God in this world by using teleological proofs. In other words, he said there has to be a prime mover, a prime force, because I see everything else is cause and effect. There had to have been something that caused the entire world to come into existence. When did he recognize this? At the age of three. Yet we have a famous midrash that says that he only recognizes Hashem 
when he is 40 years old at the time of the building of the Towers of Babel? Reb Schwab wants to say, and I think it's a great answer. What does it mean? Why are we saying two different time periods, three and 40? So what we're saying is the Rambam has one answer. There is an answer that, that the, the Rambam gives as well. But the, I'm sorry, but the Schwab's answer is like this. He recognized Hashem at three. When did he have to take action and say, I am against what everybody else stands for? When he was 40. When they built the Tower of Babel to fight against God. When they built the Tower of Babel to say, we all stand for one philosophy. You're either with us or against us. Abraham said, I am on the other side. And that is indeed why we are called Hebrews. Right? What does Hebrew come from? comes from the word ivrit, right? Ivrit comes from aver, or which can mean one of two things. Either it means aver because we are the descendants of aver, right? As in shame and aver, or it means from being on the other side of the river. The other side of the river is not just a physical divide. It is a spiritual and ideological divide. We need to recognize we have a belief system that is older and more correct than any belief system that's around today, unless it is our belief system, right? So when we see what everyone else around us is doing, and everyone else is around us is busy with crazy stuff, right? With, with, with wasting their lives, right? We need to say we have something that is true. We have something that is timeless. And we're ready to stand behind it, even against what everybody else is doing. When we do that as a people, then we'll be worthy of having the Muggin Avram protecting us and bringing Mashiach and being in the, find ourselves in the situation where it'll be after the Chevle Mashiach, after the birth pangs of Mashiach coming, and we'll be in the period when the baby's here, so to speak, right? When Mashiach is actually here, and we'll be worthy and merit to be sitting in, in the presence of Mashiach and the presence of a rebuilt, rebuilt temple and Geula uh, Shlema, complete and total redemption, which is what we daven for every day. Take care, guys. Be well. Have a good day. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>